Hi! <laughs> Yay! So, for those not benefiting from the video feed, we are live at the Dragonsteel Convention. So, here, here's, here's a question for you, Dan. Yes. I have been pushing kind of internally. Do you like Dragonsteel Convention or Dragonsteel Expo? See, if it's Dragonsteel Expo, we can call it like Drex or Drax or something cool like that. If it's Dragonsteel yeah, Convention. See, Drex sounds cool, but Drexpo sounds like you need a prescription for it. <laughs> Did you take your Drexpo today? And then someone reads off like 97 really fast side effects. I like Con. I like Dragonsteel yeah, Con. I like Expo better. Let, we'll let's put it to a vote. Cheer for Dragonsteel Expo. Cheer for Dragonsteel Con. Uh, uh. Cheer for Dragonsteel Extravamaganza. Bad story idea. Bad story idea. If you're new to our podcast, one of our recurring segments is Brandon comes up with a bad story idea that he hasn't written for some reason. Tells it to Dan, and Dan <laughs> makes it interesting. Or Dan flounders because he doesn't know what because to do with it. Because sometimes they're once. so bad, I can't do anything with them. All right, so this one might be too good to be a bad story idea, but it's definitely a story that I am not interested in writing. Okay. So I was thinking the other day, I thought, ooh, this would be a cool idea for a book that no one would buy. <laughs> the idea is for... We have those a lot. Yeah. So uh, there's been a big resurgence or a big boom in true crime lately. So mm -hmm. this is right up your alley, right? And a lot of the true crime stuff will dig into the mind of the killer and things like that. It's very common. But it's also kind of a little exploitative, right? Mm -hmm. And things like this. So I thought, hey, what about a short story collection that was the lives of a group of fictional people that are unconnected, except for the fact that they all got murdered by the same serial killer. And you do a really in-depth look that's really heart-wrenching about how interesting their lives are, and then all of them end by meeting the serial killer, and then the end. And you have like 10 stories in this collection that just all end with someone dying. And then the final paragraph of every single episode is, Hi, I'm Dan. Yeah. No, but like you could bring to bear all of your just like great writing abilities to just make us love these people. And yeah. then it's like, you know, the, the spoilers for Lincoln, the Spielberg Lincoln, <laughs> where at the end you don't even see him get shot, which is brilliant. He just walks away kind of, you know, he's going to the theater end. That mm -hmm. kind of thing. And it sounds like you're describing just a supercut of the cold opens of CSI. Yes, yes. <laughs> supercut of all the cold opens following the same person. That's fantastic. Has anyone ever done that? You follow weird stuff like I, that. Well, thank you, first of all. I'm you not like, aware of anyone who has done that, but now I really kind of want to do that. Isn't that like a, actually a really good dance story? Because you could make someone, instead yeah. of making them sad once, you could make them sad like 10 Just times. Just over and yeah. over. Yeah. Like how many times, the title would be, this anthology will make you hate me. Yeah. No, because that's what makes horror work in the first place is, you make them love somebody, and then you put them in peril. I feel like some modern horror films are kind of missing that first part. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't happen we as much. We don't love this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, that one's free. Anyone who wants to write that one, we're not going to. So today, we thought we would talk about, since I was going to introduce with a kind of somewhat okay bad story idea, we would talk about our bad, somewhat okay novels that we wrote before we got published. Yes. So this is Dan and Brandon talk about trunk novels. Trunk novels, trunk novels. is the term comes from, by the way, I'm ignoring everyone over here. I apologize. I'm ignoring this side. You so guys it's okay. don't listen to this. Yeah. Hey, section <laughs> over here. A trunk novel. <laughs> trunk novel is a term that is like back from the day when people like typed on typewriters and you would write your whole novel and then you couldn't sell it and you'd stick it in a trunk and think, I'll come back to this later and you never would. Oh man, is that where it came from? That is where it came from. Because I always just imagined that it was, you're selling Novels them out of your trunk. elephants? No, you're selling them out of your trunk because people sell their bootlegs out of their trunk. And so it's for your early books that no one wants. They're your like bootlegs. No one will buy them. <laughs> so you're selling them out of your trunk. Yours makes way more sense. Well, I actually made that up. That's what I've always assumed it means. Oh. So some like etymologist or an entomologist, yeah, I'm yeah. not we, picky. We don't Look that up and figure out where trunk novel comes from. But either way, we're going to talk about our trunk novels. Both of us, it was the sixth book that we had written was the one that finally sold. Yep. But by the time he sold book number six, he had written 13 because his, let me introduce you to Brandon Sanderson. Um, so have you gone back and I know you've done at least once published any of those trunk novels. All right, so with my trunk novels, none of them have been published as is. Yes. I have a deep-seated fear of trunk novels. This is because, and I will leave the author's name out, but my agent suggested that I ignore them because he had an author who published, you know, like his sixth or seventh book or whatever, and started to get acclaim, and then wrote a series of books that all did pretty well, but then kind of ran dry, and the author said, well, I've got these other old novels, and Joshua Magent said, maybe leave those in the trunk. And the author didn't, and then the next set of reviews were like, wow, this author was up and coming, but their next books all went down in quality. Mm -hmm. Well, because they were all the trunk novels that weren't quite as good as the modern stuff the author was writing. Yeah. And so that like terrified me when I heard of that. And so I have like not published any of those kind of obsessively. The one time that I have actually gone back and published a trunk novel, it was a ground up rewrite. Uh-huh. Because I knew the idea was good and that I knew the first version of it was terrible. So it was completely rewritten. And in that case, it kind of worked. Well, yeah, I mean, we can say Way of Kings is a trunk novel because it was my 13th novel, and then I started on page one again and rewrote mm -hmm. it again. And so that does count, I suppose. But yeah, I have so somewhere around 11 or 12 of these floating around. Way of Kings Prime, we did as part of our Kickstarter, so people could read it, but I made it sure it has a big disclaimer in it saying, this one isn't good yet. Why are you reading this? <laughs> People still read it and bring it to be signed and say, Way hey, of I really Kings, enjoyed this. the bad version. Yeah. Um, so people seem to really like the bad version, so I'm going to let okay. them read more of them. But as long as there's like a big disclaimer, hey, don't expect this to be any good yet. Don't give this to your friends as, hey, you should try Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> Absolutely give it to your friends. <laughs> Honestly, though, if, especially if you're an aspiring writer, there is nothing more like animating, there's nothing more exciting than reading a book 
that's terrible by an author that you love because all of us, our first drafts and often our second and third and fourth drafts are terrible. And so if you have a chance to find like Way of Kings Prime and read it and they're like, oh, Brandon's human after all, his first drafts are as bad as mine are. Like it, hey, it's encouraging. See, I will point out this. If you really want to get that for me, you need to go back to those early ones because by 13, I wasn't terrible anymore. That's true. I was mediocre. Not sellable yet, but also but not But mediocre garbage. even is helpful to see, right? Because, like, I love Terry Pratchett, but I think the first book is, it's a step above mediocre, but it's only okay. And reading his early books and seeing how good he got is really inspiring to me. It says, okay, okay, no one's Terry Pratchett coming out of the gate, even Terry Pratchett. Okay, so... Tell us about one of your trunk novels. Just a real stinker. All right, real stinker. So my stinkerest one of them all, my worst <laughs> trunk novel is called Nightlife. And it is me trying to do Bob Asprin because I hadn't found really Terry Pratchett yet. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't read Bob Asprin, when I was um, growing up, there were these fun novels called The Myth Adventures, which were screwball comedies with written lots of with bad puns, puns and yeah. things like this, written by Robert Asprin. And they are kind of, well, they're rather juvenile. They hit really well if you're 13 when you're reading them. Mm -hmm. And mine was a bad imitation of that. And so it was. So it this was is nightlife really with bad. a K. Yes, nightlife Night with a K. Okay. Yes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, the title's a bad pun. Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> it had a cool ending, though. Okay. Not that great, but kind of a cool ending. It had a Brandon ending. So through a wacky series of events, a character gets signed up for a gladiatorial arena where he has to fight the champion. And this is the thing looming over him for the whole thing. You have to suffer through a lot of really bad jokes that don't land before you get there, right? For some reason, I was enamored with this idea of a barbarian who used like a metal carrot to hit people. <laughs> Was there a pun behind that? No, no. No, it, it was, was just, no, it just was, a metal carrot. I mean, it's one of these things that, that you write, you think is an anti-joke. You're like, what if instead of a sword, he used a carrot? Isn't that funny? <laughs> Some, like, literary historian in 100 yeah. years will say, and there's a part where he eats a metal carrot, which is clearly the antecedent of the Mistborn series. <laughs> No, but this is looming over the character the whole time. Like, he ends up getting challenged by this, like, right at the beginning, right? And it's the metal carrot guy. He's a barbarian. And they're like, you can't fight this giant monster, right? It's like going against the Hulk or something like that, like you saw. And it looms over, and they're trying to get out of it the entire thing. But then at the end, through little clues, you found out that the champion has a heart problem. So the hero runs around in a circle around the outside of the arena for an hour, getting chased until the guy dies of a heart attack. <laughs> and that's the climax, I kid you not. Oh, of that the story. old cliche. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yep. And that was nightlife. Oh, that one is so bad. Okay, do you remember from Writing Group my book about a barbarian? The Legend of Crag? Yes, I do. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm going to tell you about this. And you're going to think, that sounds like a really cool pitch. Uh, it is not, first of all. <laughs> also, I have never been able to come up with a story or an outline even half as good as the pitch itself. So the idea came from Greek mythology, the idea that the Titans were in charge of everything, and then their children, the gods, overthrew them and took over. 
And so I posited a world in which that cycle just kept going and the demigods overthrew the gods and then whatever was one step down overthrew them until like 13 generations later, the king of the gods who was ruling everything was the god of chopped lettuce. (laughs) And I can't even remember them all. There was the goddess of unpronounceable names. There was like all of these completely useless. Oh, it was Oromo, the god of berries. He was the one who was in charge. Chopped lettuce was his son. And then the idea of the book was that they have imprisoned enough of the competent gods that now the underworld is poorly managed and people die but don't actually go anywhere. They just hang around. And I wrote a whole book that did not deliver on a single word of that premise. (laughs) It was so bad. Man, the worst stuff that we tried to do was all comedies. Mm-hmm. You know, which makes sense, right? Because if you read, like, some of my other ones are bad, but, I mean, you can get cool world building because it's at least taking itself seriously. Nothing is worse than unfunny comedy. Oh, yeah. Right? Do you remember, should we admit this? We tried to pitch to our editor yes. a Da Vinci Code parody. Yeah. Yeah. Dan and I we, together. So before either of us were published, or was it after Elantris? It was after Elantris, after Elantris, and before Mistborn, and before any of mine. We wanted to do, if you've read Board of the Rings, which was this like 1970s, I think, total just ridiculous spoof of Lord of the Rings, we did that with Da Vinci Code. For one chapter. We wrote one chapter and took it to the editor thinking, oh, he's gonna love this. Uh And he wrote back and he said, the problem with this is that comedies are supposed to be funny. (laughs) He legit wrote that. It was, (laughs) this is Moshe. And plus he's like, what's the market for this? People who like sci-fi fantasy like parodies. Board of the Ring is a parody, you know. You really expect the Da Vinci Code crowd to care about a satire of the Da Vinci Code? And we're like, uh, no, we don't. You're right. (laughs) Ever since I've been so happy that he, like even a week after, I was like, man, I'm really glad that he told us off on that one. That could have been really embarrassing. Yeah, Brandon and I have a long history of coming up with terrible ideas and then, you know, joking about them. That was the one time and the first time that we got really excited about it and thought, if we think it's funny, obviously everyone will think it's funny, regardless of execution, which, yeah, Mm. so that one died. Do you have still a file of that anyway? Oh, boy, I I don't know. I'd have to look. So the dark days before I started using cloud services to save Mm -hmm. everything, those dark, dismal days when things were like saved on this hard drive and did they migrate to this hard drive? This would have been like 99 or 2000 or something. No, no, no. I I had an editor by 2002. So it was was like 2003-ish. I mean, DaVinci Code wasn't out in 99, I don't think, Dan. Still early enough that... It's probably saved on a three and a half floppy somewhere. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah. All right. For the children in the audience, (laughs) a three and a half floppy disk is uh, what we had before we had the internet. Yes, save icons. They modeled them after save icons. That's what the save icon looks like. You've always wondered why it's like a weird rectangle. That's why. Mm. Okay. So, Nightlife was actually my third book. Your third book. My third book. And so, my first book was White Sand. 
right? Which it was also... Another one that you've revised so, and done some work on. Here's the thing. White Sand was my first book, and then it was like my eighth book as well, mm -hmm. right? Because um, I remember doing it in writing group. Yes. And that's the version that people have read, was the eighth book version. So basically, I have kind of like several eras in my unpublished work. Books one through five are my experimental days of, mm -hmm. uh, shall, shall we just call them like my, you know, experimental film days. I was, <laughs> I was developing as an author. This is my terrible books phase. Elantra starts my, hey, these aren't terrible phase. And my, hey, these aren't terrible stage lasts until we're trying to sell books in New York and everyone tells me you need to be George R. R. Martin. Yeah. And that starts my dark days of Brandon tries to do grimdark. Which, which was only two or three it books. It was only two books. Yeah. But it did not go very well. I mean, there's one book in there. Can you even yeah. imagine a Brandon Sanderson grimdark book mm. that's like no one's happy and everyone's mean all the time? It was about a grimdark. It was basically like I took a character from a George Martin book, put him in a Brandon Sanderson book, and he learns to be happy by the end. <laughs> <laughs> right? Do you remember that? I do remember that. It was that. Mistborn, but it was Mistborn in this. So this uh, unpublished book, it, it's very fun. It's called, I, we call it Mistborn Prime now. It's basically the Mistborn magic system, fully fledged. Uh -huh. A lot of the Mistborn world building. But what happens is there's this assassin guy who's like dark and grim dark and super darky, darky, grim darky. <laughs> and he goes, gets assigned to go to this town and find out what's up. You know, they've got Adium there and they're not supposed to, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, mm, where are they getting this? I've got to go. And, and the, his father's like, go, go find everyone and kill them and get the Adium. And he goes there and he falls in with a crowd of nice people who treat him well and he doesn't know what to do with that. And has a character arc to where he goes back and defeats his father. Um, <laughs> and it, it really is basically, I'm like, it's more like I'm like, everyone at this time, I joke, was looking for Joe Abercrombie, right? Yeah. Because we would be trying to break in and they'd be like, you see this book like Game of Thrones? Write that, but don't make it long. Make it short. Because yeah. long books cost us too much money to publish. So give us short books like Game of Thrones. And really, they're looking for Joe. Yeah, so you've seen Into the Spider-Verse, and you know there's Batman Noir who shows yes. up, yeah. and everyone else is brightly colored and happy, and he's like, I have inner demons. Like, that's what this book was like. Yeah. The one yeah. inner demon guy yeah. in a world where nobody swore or killed anyone. Everyone did that back in the city <laughs> where he's from, but he went off to the country where, you know, things were was um, happy. more pleasant. So, yeah, I, I kidnapped a Joe Ambercroppy character and subjected him to nice people until he had a character arc. <laughs> <laughs> so, the one book that I have gone back and revised is The Night of Blacker Darkness. And that one actually is out. There's an audio and an ebook version. I'm working on a print version, but it's slow. That was the third one I did. That was right after The Legend of Crag. I finished yeah. Crag, and I was pretty happy with it. It's obviously terrible, but I'm like, That's, I've finished two books. Yay. And I started writing a new one and just completely seated the pants, making it up as I went. And the premise that I started on, with zero concept of what the book would eventually become, was it's so common in, like, you know, 1800s pulp fiction to have, like in Count of Monte Cristo, the guy who escapes from prison by pretending to be dead. And I thought, I'm going to do that. And then he's in his coffin, and in the cemetery he gets out of it, and everyone freaks out because obviously he's a... 
you would think vampire. He was a were-frog. <laughs> and I took that to writing group, and Brandon and Ben and Nate, who was the other guy in it, were like, why on earth is he a were-frog? And it's because I was just discovery writing the thing and I got to the part where they opened the coffin and I didn't know what to say, so I said, where frog? That's your metal carrot moment right there. That's my metal carrot. Yeah. The good news is I did not write an entire version. Actually, the bad news is I did not write an entire version of that book <laughs> where he was a were frog. They immediately convinced me, oh, obviously he's, he should be a vampire. And I wrote that and it didn't work, but, you know, 17 revisions later, it finally is good. Yeah, because you went with the funnier option of all three, which is, he's not a vampire. He's not a vampire. But a bunch of vampires see him get out of a coffin and assume he is. Yeah, and like, why else would you around? be getting out of a coffin yeah. in a graveyard? Obviously, you're a vampire. That is the one book I've actually written that and produced it a couple of times as a stage play. So if any of you are theater directors... I have a stage script of a really ridiculous vampire story. A Night of Black or Darkness is what nightlife wanted to be. It wanted to be a screwball <laughs> comedy that was actually funny. A Night of Black or Darkness is a screwball comedy that is actually funny. Well, thank you very much. I was about to say, also, Night of Black or Darkness doesn't lean very heavily on puns. Yes. But it does have a it's couple of failing. real groaners. Yeah. My favorite line in the entire stage play is when somebody smacks someone unconscious with a bone right at a dramatic moment, like human bone knocks them on the head, and the other person says, oh, well, that's amusing because of the timing of it. And they say, no, actually, it's a humorous. <laughs> that's my one pun. I've just ruined the entire play for you. It's all downhill from there. <laughs> okay, um, what, what was your very first book that you ever finished. Okay, so here's the thing. White Sand, I wrote halfway, and then was mm -hmm. like, this feels like an ending. <laughs> and then stopped, right? Okay. This happens a lot when you're a new writer. So you're like, this feels about the length of a novel. Uh, fight scene, done. <laughs> and that it really does do That's that. That's how every NaNoWriMo novel ends. Yeah. And then a meteor killed them all. <laughs> the end. My second book was called Star's End. And, I remember yeah, Star's End. Yeah. I've looked back at Star's End. It is not good. But it is the first place where it's like, hey, maybe this guy could be good someday. And Star's End was, I was really interested in supernovas. At the time, I'd been researching them. I'd taken an astronomy class. I'm like, I'm going to write a story about like a research station at the edge of a star that's about to go nova. And the idea is that they're going to try to capture the energy. They're going to do some weird Dyson sphere thing where they're going to try to just get all the energy out of a supernova. That was the premise. And then there's a murder mystery that happens on the station that's monitoring this. And the main character is somebody who's sent to you know, take over the station. He gets there, there's a murder. And he's like, I got to figure out what's going on with this. So murder mystery on a space station. Why it worked even though it's not a good book, mm -hmm. is because, and this is a lesson for your spine writers, there is something to the idea of trying something you know you can do, right, and doing it. And let me explain that. Like, I do not want to say don't be ambitious, right? Like, White Sand was hugely ambitious. It was one of these giant epic fantasies and things like that, and it taught me a ton, and I'm glad I wrote it. But when I sat down to do Star's End, I'm like, maybe I'll just do one viewpoint character, 
a murder mystery that I know what the plot is and what the ending is, <laughs> I will write through the whole thing and have, you know, it be a 90,000 word contained story that I can actually plot and, and execute. And I did. And in many ways, it's much more readable than any of the other books of those first five. Yeah. Even though the writing is really amateurish, it's readable because so, of that. So there, there's no fundamental flaw to it other than inexperience. Yeah, exactly. It does do some weird things like Kaz from the Alcatraz books is a transplant from this. If you've read the Alcatraz books, he showed up first in Star's End. And there is an entity that lives outside of time that is contacting the main character. Very strange Spren-like being before, way before the Sprens were happening. That doesn't really belong in the story, but I wanted a cool alien. And so, you know, it doesn't really fit. But the character, so the idea, this is actually kind of a fun premise that is really hard to execute on. This creature lives outside of time and space and can influence probability very slightly inside the realm where time and space matters. And so random collections of things have happened that leave messages. So you communicate with this thing by taking a panel off and you're studying, you know, fixing something, you look and the panel accidentally, some words have been scratched in there that the person scratching them didn't know why they were scratching or it's just random happenstance. It's a message from this being outside of time and space. And so, yeah. Okay. Awesome. I am sitting here trying to remember my fourth book. You got to tell us about your first book. You just maybe tell us them okay. about the, the bad ones. I, I just realized that I can name one, two, three, and five. I can't remember what four is. Mm. But number one was yep. called Realm, which is the worst oh, title. Oh, I forgot the name of that. It was such a bad one. I found out we went to BYU for college, which is where we met, and we were both in the honors program. And I found out that you have to write a big thesis to get your university honors you know, diploma or whatever it is, and found a loophole that said instead of a research thesis, it can be a work of creative art, which I think must have been intended for like visual artists or something. And I'm like, I'm writing a novel. So there was a teacher there who taught a section of a Lord of the Rings class. And I'm like, hey, buddy, do you want to be my, uh, it was Steve Walker you want to be my thesis advisor? I'm going to write a fantasy novel. And he's like, yes, do it. So I wrote the worst piece of Warhammer fantasy fan fiction and turned it in as a thesis and passed, and it is bound and in the BYU library. Yes, but it did something really cool, <laughs> which we've talked about before. It inspired Yasna. Because yes, the main character did. was a historian, and mm -hmm. I would thought that was so cool to write a fantasy novel about a historian that it planted a seed, and I'm like, I'm going to do that someday. I'm going to do that, which is probably why Yasna's my favorite character in Stormlight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was like it, very similar in some ways to Stormlight. Like, magic is coming back. Oh, no, that's going to ruin everything. My magic was chaotic and, and horrible, and there was this historian who's like, I've seen all the signs, and I've put all the pieces together, and why won't anyone believe me? It was wildly ambitious. The outline that I created had like 10 viewpoint characters and I shrunk it down to two in order to tell the story is not good. See, my favorite thing about Realm, I guess it's called, I'd completely forgotten. Realm. Realm is 
when you brought the first chapters to our writing group that we started with Ben of How's That Ben fame, Yeah. we started this thing, we, we went to Ben's offices on campus because he had a real job. Yeah, <laughs> like and, a jump. Yeah, and I read your opening to this book, yeah, your first few chapters, and I came in and I'm like, Dan, this magic system is so innovative and interesting. I love this. I love how it does this and how it does this. Ben is sitting there snickering the whole time. Just, just can't hold it in. And he says, afterwards, he says, Brandon, have you ever played Warhammer? And I'm like, no. <laughs> He's like, this is the Warhammer magic. Dan just borrowed it. Yeah, I just described chaos from yeah. Warhammer. Mm -hmm. I call the book Realm because the entire thing is Realm. The two viewpoints that I pulled out of it and published for the thesis is actually called Deeper into Chaos. Oh, that's, that's why I don't that's, remember it. That's, okay. that's why you can't remember, remember the title. that title. So yeah. if for some reason you go to BYU and you're like, I want to read Dan's super bad first novel he ever wrote. That's how you look it up, is deeper into chaos. Yeah, because Tivneri set a book on the table, and the table, like, melted, and the book, like, sank into it. It was a really cool visual. Mm -hmm. I really liked it. It was like a chaos book. It was like a Necronomicon. I, I was trying to do chaos in, a, like, a serious way, which I did not do successfully, mm. but it was fun. That image is still there in my head, so it was a really well-written scene. How about that? Oh, uh, well, thank you very mm -hmm. much. So we've only gone through a couple of mine. Do you want me to list off what all my books are? We can see if you remember any of yes. them. Yes. Okay. So book one was White Sand. White Sand. Book two was Star Sand. Book three was called Lord Mastral. It was the sequel to White Sand. I remember that one. Yes. Book but this was still before the writing group, wasn't it? Yeah, but I then took some of these things and shared them around. Yeah. Right? Because... Because I remember yeah. reading chunks of Lord Mastral. Yeah. And yep. then I remember when you did the rewrite yep. later on. Okay. Book four was Nightlife. Nightlife. Book five was the sixth incarnation of Pandora, the weird cyberpunk thing that I did a reading from a while mm -hmm. ago, like at the Oathbringer release. I read some of that. Book six was Launtress. Mm -hmm. Book seven was Dragonsteel. Hey, Dragonsteel! Um, book eight was White Sand rewritten. Yeah. Book nine was Mythwalker that I never finished. I remember Mythwalker. Was yep. that where, like, the Fabrials came from? Wasn't yes, it? yes. Yeah. Fabrials came from Mythwalker. Siri and Vivina came from Mythwalker. Uh -huh. I, I threw that one to the wood chipper and yeah. took a lot of the ideas. I had a really bad magic system. Also, that someday I'm pretty I sure the fix. shard plate was in Mythwalker, It might too. have been, yeah. because There was some kind yeah. of magic armor. Anyway. Uh, no, then there was Aether of Night, which was the oh. introduction of the Aethers. And yes. you're thinking of okay. the Aethers. And so Aethers are still canonical to the Cosmere. They will show up. And then there was Mistborn Prime and Final Empire Prime, which are the two I'm going to be George R. R. Martin for a day um, <laughs> books. And then I gave up on that and wrote Way of Kings Prime. Way of Kings. Yep. Awesome. And at one point in there, I remember we had this discussion in writing group where you had already sent a couple of these books out, mm -hmm. I guess, to Joshua. I've been sending them everywhere. Yeah. I send them to any, any place I can. And yeah. the, the common feedback that agents kept giving you was, this is interesting, but nothing happens, and oh, yeah. nothing matters. You need to make sure the fabric of the universe is in peril. And so that's what we said for a couple of books there was, Brandon, in this chapter, I don't think the fabric of the universe was properly imperiled. You need to change that. 
Yeah, that era, like, because it was Elantris, White Sand, and Dragonsteel that I really believed in. And I still think Dragonsteel, and, like, Dragonsteel, big chunks of it ended up in Stormlight. Bridge 4 started in Dragonsteel. Dalinar started in Dragonsteel, so... But I was starting slow. I was starting really slow and kind of slow and intimate with these books. I still kind of think of all my unpublished works, that era is still decently okay. It's like mediocrely okay. So, Well, my fifth one was called Victorian Batgirl. (laughs) It had a real title, but it was obviously just Victorian Batgirl, which was me trying to do historical horror novel about a girl that, like, went to a proper finishing school in London in the 1800s, but also at night she was, like, a super secret agent that fought monsters. That one, I... Much of it, but not all of it, is available annotated on my Patreon. And I think I might have eventually just dumped the rest of it without annotations. It's unsalvageable. I cannot for the life of me remember the fourth one, though. I know there is one. Someday. 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 The lost fourth Dan novel. That will be the mysterious cliffhanger we leave you on. Because we need to keep going because we need to do a second episode. We need to do a second episode. How's that, Dragonsteel? 